Welcome back to History for Non-Majors. This isn't your typical history class. No notes, essays, or grades. Just tune in, have a laugh, and stick around for the stories that make life interesting. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Laura. And this week, I get to talk about Nantucket, and more specifically, the voyage of the Essex. Yes, you do. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but first, we uh, want to talk about a little bit about our week. Yeah. How has your week been? <laughs> you go first. I'm having a crisis. Oh, no. Well, no. Um, here, here's the deal. Um, I'm doing my senior seminar paper. You did what? I'm writing my senior oh, seminar oh, okay. paper for that class. Yes. And I'm supposed to turn in like five to ten pages like last Sunday. Mm. And I write one paragraph with a little comment that's basically like that scene from Baking British baking British show, <laughs> British baking show, where the guy's like, started making it, had a breakdown, bon appetit. And I sent that to my teacher. Um, she gave me a pity grade. I do love her. You sent that that from the that scene from the show to your no, teacher? No, I basically just wrote it in the comments. Oh, okay. I like, I started writing it, had a terrible time. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and then on another test, I got a 75, which is better than the 70 that I got on the earlier test. And that was without... Is that for... I was Is that good. for Mediterranean? Yes. <gasps> Wait, did she grade it? She did grade. Yeah, she graded the test. I haven't oh, seen have what I got. Together. Yeah, we do have that together. Here's the deal. I, I got a grade. really bad grade on the first one, too. There are some people that we study with, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know it. And, we're, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got an extra five points. I went up to a 75, and they got 101. So What? Right? Ah. I will not name names on this podcast. Yeah, I don't. I'm also not going to threaten to key anybody's car. That is my basic, like, funny threat. Like, <laughs> I'm mad. I'm going to key their car. Oh, she gasped. Mine got better. I got a 73 on the last one. I got an 80 on hey! this one. <laughs> Yay. I feel good about myself. Feel, see, my excuse was that if I did badly, I knew that I did it, like, drugged up on NyQuil. Oh, okay. And, like, 24-hour allergy medication. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's my excuse is that I felt like absolute garbage. Well, that seems like a pretty good excuse. I'm sorry that you felt like garbage. Oh. I um actually did some of the dates this time. On the first test, I just gave up. Like, I looked at the dates, and I felt despair in my heart, mm-hmm. and I didn't fill any of them in. <laughs> I don't know dates. I've never known a date. I've never memorized a date in my life. We are history majors, but we are not good at dates. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. In, like, AP classes, it was always like, we don't care about the specifics. It's if you know... If you can connect ideas, if yeah. you can get the big picture. That's what usually happens when you get to, like, upper-level history classes, actually. Yeah, but now on our test, they're like, tell me the date that this happened. And I'm like, oh. Also, if she listens to this podcast, we're not attacking We're not holding that time. against you. We love you. But I do hate dates. So if you want to take that into consideration for your next exam, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's my slight plug. Like, please. Please. If you, if you feel it in your heart. It's our plea for mercy. Please. Most yeah. Of Chair Creek, but that's okay. Mm. Do you have anything else happen? Oh, my senior seminar paper. It was like I'm like changing the focus a little bit, and I've got 20 pages due Sunday. So basically, oh. I have to write the whole thing this weekend. Oh yeah. Just a draft of it. I have to write a research paper about Japanese American internment during World War II over the weekend. Fun. But uplifting. It sounds like Prevet is going to be merciful about what a rough draft means. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad for that. Oh, also, I don't know if this counts as a, should I, are we doing, do we say, like, personal life things or just, like, history things? I guess personal life. Yeah. Um, I got engaged. 
Wow. I'm really I bad at telling people about it. <laughs> I said, hey, man, I saw you, you got engaged. Our sound guy can cut this out if he doesn't want it to be in there because he is shaking his head. <laughs> I, I'm like, hey, can you send me those sources? By the way, congrats on your engagement. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> and I thought she was responding to yeah about the engagement. And I was like, very casual about it. Yes, Good I'm just, her. I'm just that, yep, chill about everything. I was like, well, you tell a lot of people. I guess it gets exhausting. No, I was responding to the sources request, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> that's my bad. Anyway, I don't know. I guess that kind of sums it up mostly. Halloween is coming up. I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Got like a couple of different costume ideas. I've got none. Um, it will be. College student in crisis. I think that's fine. College student in crisis. So, made it at home. Did it myself. You know, you should dress up as, you're dressed up right now as a person who's been to Nantucket. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're talking today about Nantucket, and I'm writing my senior seminar paper on Nantucket, and I've never been to Nantucket. I've never been that far north. So, I got this sweatshirt on eBay that says Nantucket, and people ask me. I'm saying Nantucket a million times. Have you that's ever okay. been to Nantucket? And I go, no, I bought this on eBay and I'm making like my senior seminar paper about it. So that's how dedicated I am to the topic. Not so dedicated to the paper since it is upsetting me deeply. And all I want to do is bake, not bake. I want to watch British <laughs> baking show because I'm behind on two seasons and I want to knit because I'm this thick yarn. Oh, it's a wool acrylic mix and the color is really nice and it's a really thick gauge. So that it knits so quickly. A hat in five hours. Never been done before. Wow. Really thick and bulky. We Andy, should just. Andy Craft Anderson uh, Craft Show, November 9th. Come hit me up. Those sound like very like old lady pastimes. We should just hang out together and be old ladies together. We learn about Nantucket. We watch a British baking show. And we knit. Yeah. Yeah. People in college find out you can knit, or I say I can knit. I can't actually read patterns. I'm very. Crocheting is complicated for me, but I think if I sat down, I can learn how to knit by pattern, but it freaks me out. I do like, I'm a, such a child. I like having a little video, and if I see something, I can copy it pretty decently, but only if it's like knitting and purling, mm-hmm. which is very, I mean, everything consists of knitting and purling, but like, get more complicated than like, stocking that stitch, and oh, your girl loses her mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the hats are cute, I like them, Andy Craft, November night. It's going to be in the quad. November 9th? Okay. Yeah, I was wondering when that was going to be. Cool. Yeah, my mom's going to be there. Too, You've been at it like every every year. Because my mom's like, get a table. I like to sell my I, my Christmas ornaments. Aw. She's and jewelry. She makes jewelry and stuff. And I'm just sitting there with like the three hats I managed to knit amongst all of my school assignments. Like, please. <laughs> I should come by and just buy a hat. If you want. Fun fact, winter hats are the, like, knitted hats are the only kind of hats that I am able to wear because I have a large, an abnormally large head. <laughs> I'm sure you can get, like, a man's hat. Well, I mean, what kind of man's hat do I, would I want to wear? The only kind of hats I'm actually interested in would be, like, vintage, you know, cute hats. True. Oh, you're right. But that, I can't wear hats, no. It just doesn't work. When I was a baby, they thought something was wrong with me, and they had to do an MRI and scan my head because, yeah. 
People don't notice it in daily life. I think my ears are unusually high, just enough that like baseball caps are uncomfortable. So should we talk about Nantucket? This isn't history. Anymore, <laughs> this is just like the despair that we came hats. So my first question before we, we go. We should do a history of hats. The well, I wanted to speak about the Essex because before I did my senior seminar, uh, this is what drew me to Nantucket as a research topic. And it's a fun story. It's a fun American survival story. Um, it's a fun time. And part of me didn't want to talk about it because I feel like it gets so much talk now like a lot of people would just Mm -hmm. bring it up as a fun history story yeah and there was a movie in like 2016 based off the really good nonfiction book in the heart of the sea is where i got a lot of my details so like go to nathaniel Philbrick for all of your nantucket needs but like you know what i gotta talk about it because i enjoy it and sometimes you talk to people and you're like so many people know about the essex and then they're like i've literally never heard of that in my life do you have any background for it I saw the trailer for the movie. Okay. Um, and it had one of the Hemsworths in it, it I want to say. Bonus points if you can name the Hemsworth. It was um, L- Liam? No, ma'am. No, wait. It wasn't Chris? It was Chris? It, it, it's Chris. It was Chris? Yeah, he plays uh, first mate. Um, I gotta look this up. I'm way too confidently, but I'm pretty dangerous. I'm Chase. And then there is the third Hemsworth brother, but he just Luke. I think his name is Luke. Yeah. It's Chris. Oh. Oh, like oh, he's looking good in this picture. Which one you got? Look at this this facial expression in his hair and everything. I don't know. It's a fun he's picture. Just... Ooh, Killian Murphy's off to the left as well. He wasn't looking as good in this movie, but you know it's fine. The man, the man knows his job. He does his job really well. Um, it's just like a Thomas rakish Anderson. eyebrow, one eyebrow raised. That's, okay, okay, Chris Hemsworth. He knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Thomas Nickerson, who I'll talk about, was played by Tom Holland as well. Uh, oh, okay. Movie. And it's just got a lot of British. It, I know that it kind of has something. To, it has something to do with Moby Dick, right? Good. Yes. Which is my first question. Do you know the story of Moby Dick? Um. <laughs> yes, vaguely. I mean. I think I like tried to read it one time, but I actually don't like books that are set at sea. Usually, I love. You can dislike me for that, but I've just never, every, I've never liked every them. Every young woman and every young man and every adult should read *True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle*. It, oh yeah. my gosh, That's a powerful young woman. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Um. I, yeah, I don't know why it was. I don't know if it's because the ocean is scary, because objectively the ocean is terrifying. But uh, Something you can keep, should keep in mind about this entire uh, story is that the ocean is terrifying. So people are like, why didn't they just do this? Why didn't they just do this? And it's like, the ocean is a horrifying place to be. It is. It really is. As much as I admire it, uh, do not take me out there. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Thank you. So I must first provide uh, some context for Nantucket. In my notes it says, you know this junk already. Because I've written a whole paper on it. So let's just see what I come up with. Yeah. Nantucket is a small island off the coast of Massachusetts. It is roughly, I think, 40 square miles. At its widest, it's like 13 miles. So like, it's shaped like this. It's on the cover of this book. Oh. Yeah, I was about to look it up. And small place um, around the time that the Essex occurred, I think their maximum population was like 7,000. But mm. a lot of the population is also, like, people just coming in for work. Um, so there's not all Nantucketers. 
Basically, That's a fun word. Nantucketers. Nantucketers. Oh, it. <laughs> so, the land uh, is crap. Oh. So, it's super sandy and harsh, and they can herd some sheep and some cattle, and they actually um, went to, like, white people first went to the island thinking that they were going to be herders, and then they were like, this land cannot support jack squat. And so, it's not like the nearby Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard that, like, have vineyards and are lush and fertile. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of an island. So they had to resort to something else. The natives at the time would go and, I guess the word is harvest, I guess, like whales that had washed up on the shore. And so the white people started doing it. And then they were like, oh my gosh. We, we can, can go out and find the, the whales. We can go and find the whales. We, we don't can. have to wait for them to Yeah, they hired this us. guy from New York to come and like teach them whaling. And the rest is history. Mm. Um, They have... A diverse religious background, but after the settlement of the island, uh, most of the island became Quakers. So you're going to have a lot of Presbyterians, and you're going to have a lot of Quakers. And that contributes to a lot of um, cultural backbone of the island. When I say Quakers, I also can refer to them as the Society of Friends. That's a yes. fun name. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yes. The Society, the Society of Friends. Uh, got whale oil. Um, scope in the Atlantic trade, quite important. Because they were one of the mass producers of whale oil in America. So as far as the American whale trade goes, Nantucket was like the baddies mm-hmm. for pretty much 100 years. Um, and that will end a little bit after the American Civil War, when a place where they keep all the whale oil caught fire. So that's unfortunate. But we're not dealing On with Nantucket? Nantucket. Oh, sorry, that's your foot. Oh, you're good. So what do you know? Wait. Oop. Oh, that's the next question. A nice quote from Nathaniel Philbrick in his book, um, In the Heart of the Sea, says, When whale oil prices steadily, with whale oil prices steadily climbing and the rise of the world's economy sunk in depression, the village of Nantucket was on its way to becoming one of the richest towns in America. And that was after the Revolutionary War. Wow. So that was pretty snazzy of them. So what do you know about whale oil? And the finding of said whale oil. I I guess mm, that, I don't know, I mean, that it was used a lot in the United States and other places um, in, like, I don't know, 19th century mainly, I want to say, yeah. and that we don't do that anymore because we don't want to kill the whales because, yeah. I guess a good preface to But that it's also that. really hard to catch them. It's really hard yeah. to, to kill a whale. It's, it's, yeah, They're really big whales. They're big, dude. They are big. you got to handle a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's so big. you got to handle a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it is very big. <laughs> Your emotions, the whale itself, <laughs> the harpoon. Your emotions. <laughs> the inner turmoil of killing this beast. Um, <laughs> thanks for me, We'll explore all this in today's episode. <laughs> Buckle in tight. And I guess something that I always preface people when they're like, what are you writing your senior seminar on? And I'm like, first things first. Whale killing bad. Yeah. Whale bad. That's right. No, it's okay. You can keep talking. <laughs> Sorry, just no <laughs> Sorry, I should. Whale oil bad. So at the time, they did not really have an understanding of ecology. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like oh my gosh, didn't they know the harm they were doing to the environment? No. You go, you go and land in lush, fertile America, and there are all of these nice, big fishies. 
out in the sea. Big fishies. <laughs> big fishies. The nice big fishies. And you don't just want to pursue them. Like, you don't take into consideration that, like, you're going to do harm to, like, the environment. Because ecology is not a thing, okay? So I do cut these guys a lot of slack. Some people are like, what happened to the Essex is bad. But these guys were killing whales. And I'm like, these are human lives. Yeah. Just trying to do their job. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. Essentially, from a whale, you can get whale bones. Oh, yeah, which was used in um, corset making. Mm-hmm. And then now make- they have modern, like, artificial yeah, a lot of times they use like a plastic versions of like things that are made to imitate whalebone. Yeah, and they'll um. I know because I watch a lot of, oh, uh, yes. what's it called? Costume costumers. Oh yeah, <laughs> historical costumers are. For for those of you who aren't deeply immersed in this side oh, of the point. internet, it's costuming other, like, YouTubers. Like, what's better costumers. than wearing a million uh, petticoats in the mid eighteen hundreds? Yeah. Uh, but typically you wouldn't use whalebone for a crinoline. No, just no. use a wooden hoop for that. That's steel. It's like steel and wood. Yeah. Wood would That's why it didn't come around until it, when it did was because they needed, because they used Good steel. American Pittsburgh steel. Yeah. Which was lighter and more hygienic oh. than having a million petticoats. Sorry. A <laughs> no, we, little no, aside. No, we don't usually give the Victorians credit for being hygienic. So no, we don't. I've, I've dumped on the, the Victorians a lot in the course of my Historical research, I guess. Oh, did you get so there's bones? We fussed at the Victorians last week or what? last last episode for oh for blowing crap up when they for using dynamite oh, gosh, um yes. in archaeology. Yeah, I got a bone to pick with some guys. Yeah, I got a bone to pick. Oh, I see what she did there. Okay, there's also <laughs> I wrote here like spur. So ten, okay, so they go. We'll talk about the whales, but whale oil basically. Um, Lubricant and oil for lamps, machinery, um, all that good stuff. Eventually, you can make whale oil candles. And there's also ambergris sometimes. When you go into a whale, you always got to look for that good, good ambergris. Uh, sometimes you'll hear about people finding it washed up on beaches. It's essentially like whale vomit, like like sperm whale vomit. But it's really valuable, super expensive, and it's used to make perfumes. What What is that? Oh, you know what? Okay, so there's this, speaking of YouTube channels, yeah. there's this, like, historical cooking YouTube channel that I watch. It's, like, called Tasting History. Yeah. Yeah. And recently there was, an, there was a recipe where it needed am, amber grease in yeah. the recipe. And he was like, I'm not going to use that because it's illegal to possess it in the United States. Oh, what? Yeah. That. Maybe because... You sometimes have to kill a whale to get it. Yeah. So it's like, it's illegal to have it at all. Yeah. It is a, according to Botanica, a solid waxy substance originating in the intestine of the sperm whale. In Eastern cultures, ambergris is used for medicines and potions and as a spice. In the West, it's used to stabilize the scent of fine perfumes. Hmm. So sometimes people find it on beaches and then they're like, I'm rich. So Because you're not allowed to go out and hunt for it anymore. Oh, yeah. Run here. Fun facts. Sperm whale name. So a sperm whale is called a sperm whale. Uh, I just feel like I should say this because a lot of people wonder. Because of the spermaceti that's found in their heads. So when you go for, when you cut open a whale Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get the oil out, 
essentially what they're doing is they're hauling the whale onto the deck of the ship, cutting it into pieces, boiling down the fat to get that oil. That's a way to get it. And in the movie, In the Heart of the Sea, you'll see them send um, Tom Holland into, like, the blowhole, like, into the brain. Like, they slide him into the head of the... Not, it's not the blowhole, because that's not where the brain is. Once, give me very much. Once the whale's already dead? Yeah, the or, whale's dead. Okay, cool. The whale was dead. They send him down in a hole because he's tiny enough, and he's scooping this this white substance out of, like, the head cavity, because that is, like... It's technically this oil that's inside of the whale that kind of, like, helps to cushion their brain a little bit, I think, is its main biological purpose. I could definitely be wrong. And it's, it's like, this thick oil, and it's fatty. So it's white. So it looks like... Uh, so, this, so the whale is called... A sperm whale. Uh-huh. You said it, not me. I did. <laughs> you, were, you were gesturing for me to say it, so I took that prompt. <laughs> that is true. Um, originally, Nantucketers, you will hear them talk about right whales. So off the coast of Nantucket, you would find these things called right whales, and they were called such because they were the right whales to kill. Really? They were the correct whales to kill. Um, basically, just like a North American whale. Probably like... Don't, don't quote me on this. And then I used to, one time I Googled a, well, what a right whale was. Just not a sperm whale. Eventually they were like, these boys are out here. They're bigger and they got more oil. So they hopped on the boats and they went. But now they have stepped out of the way. Mm-hmm. Wait, so they were originally hunting the right whales and then they switched to the sperm whales? Yes. So by the time okay. the Essex rolls around, we're looking for sperm whales. Okay. So I'll say they killed a whale, but they killed a sperm whale. So now we get to look at the crew of the Essex. Actually, I'm a liar. Would you like to hear a cool poem first about whales? Yes. Okay, cool. Sorry. They're like, Bonnie's really bad at structure. And you're That's right. okay. My structure was not great last time either. So, Nantuc- so Nathaniel Philbrick says <laughs> that Nantucketers saw no contradiction between their livelihood and their religion. God himself had granted them dominion over the fishes of the sea. Peleg false Folger. Also, Folger's Coffins. Owen's. Chases, it's oh, it's all family name. Um, a Nantucket whaleman turned Quaker elder expressed it in verse. <clears throat> Thou didst, O Lord, create the mighty whale, that wondrous monster of a mighty length. Vast is his head and body, vast his tail, beyond conception his unmeasured strength. But everlasting God, thou dost ordain that we poor feeble mortals should engage ourselves, our wives, and children to maintain this dreadful monster with a martial rage. And I thought that poem was badass, so I enjoyed it. So creaky. I know. The chair's so creaky. But the, wait, so the poem, was he saying to, you said to maintain? To maintain. What does that mean? Like, it's our responsibility, this is our lot in life, to, like, like, this is our industry, essentially. Like, we're this land, this is our income, this is what we must do. Um, you know, some people gotta farm corn, some people gotta make shoes. We farm whales. Some people gotta kill them whales. Okay. Yep. Fun time. Yeah. It's a fun, a fun time. <laughs> so, oops. I was gonna do that later. Okay. <laughs> so now we were going to, I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, was I supposed to talk about the adaptation? The adaptations of the sperm whale? I don't know. Were you? Oh, it talks about right whales. Not only was the oil derived from the sperm whale's blubber far superior to that of the right whale, providing a brighter and cleaner burning light, 
but its block-shaped head contained a vast reservoir of even better oil called spermaceti that could simply that could be simply ladled into an awaiting cast. It was spermaceti's resemblance to yeah, okay, yep, that's where it gets the name. Mm-hmm. The sperm whale might be faster and more aggressive than the right whale, but it was far more enriching. With no other means of support, Nantucketers decided or dedicated themselves to the single-minded pursuit of the sperm whale, and they soon outstripped their whaling rivals on the mainland and Long Island. So by 1760, Nantucketers had practically wiped out the local whale population. But no matter. By that point, they had enlarged their whaling sloops and equipped them with brick triworks capable of processing the oil in the open ocean. Now, since it would not need to return to port as often to deliver bulky blubber, their fleet had a far greater range. So by the outbreak of the American Revolution, Nantucketers had made it to the verge of the Arctic Circle, to the west coast of Africa, the east coast of South America, and as far as Falkland Islands. Whoa. So they were just going all over the world looking for whales. Like they, The yeah. people from this tiny island in New England were just sailing the entire world. Yes, the Essex voyage was meant to be two and a half years. Like wow. It's like, bye, honey. I'll be back with some whales. And then they just leave. I'll be back with some whales. I'll be some whale oil. They get those barrels. Bye, honey. I'll be back with some whales. Bye, honey. I'll be back. I'll bring them. I'll so wait, back when, they, when they got the whales. Yes. And then they processed the blubber. Would they just kind of leave the rest of the whale? Or would they use the rest of the whale? I, think, I mean. Like, could you eat the whale? I don't know. I or did they just leave the carcass floating after they had gotten the, the blubber. Well, mainly the blubber is, like, you're going to boil down as much meat as you can to get that oil out. Oh, okay. And you're also going to maybe take bone if you want bone, mm-hmm. if that's something you can sell. I think for the most part, you can just chuck it. Interesting. That sounds mean. Like, yeah. You can just throw it overboard. Huh. Let Mother Earth take care of that. Yeah. Interesting. We decompose. <laughs> hmm it's, it's that scene from iCarly where she's like, and thus... I dispose of the biodegradable orange carcass. She like chucks out the orange <laughs> carcass. <laughs> Got all the time. I have a list here of the crew of the Essex. Um, basically, it's just a note of who's related. So we've got the Captain George Pollard Jr., first mate Owen Chase, played by Chris Hemsworth in the movie, second mate Matthew Joy, boat steerers, Matt Benjamin Lawrence, yeah, Benjamin Lawrence, Obed Hendricks, Thomas Chapel, a bunch of other dudes. Mm. What's important is that Owen Coffin was a sailor and was the captain's cousin, and the cabin boy was Thomas Nickerson. Now, I have in my notes the importance of Thomas Nickerson. Okay. Okay, so the story of the Essex that I'm about to tell was like a national thing. Everybody knew about it. It was in newspapers. It was talked about in schools. Into the 1900s, not so much. It just kind of like is drama that lost its flavor, Mm -hmm. you know? But... We basically had the first-hand accounts of the first mate and the captain and a couple other people on the boat. But you could kind of tell that they were, like, one, dudes who'd been traumatized, and two, captains who were trying to kind of keep their jobs. And so it's this overall feeling of, like, this is a noble story, but, like, what really happened? Like, they were just details missing. Not Mm -hmm. that they're purposefully lying to the public, but they're also just kind of telling it to newspapers. Mm -hmm. Some guy... Years later, it was like, hey, Thomas Nickerson, cabin boy, who experienced all of this as a young man, like mm-hmm. 14 years old. How, how was it? Like, write it all down. You should write down your story. Mm-hmm. So he wrote a memoir, and the draft got lost. Like, it got handed to somebody, and it never got published. And it, disgusting. I hate it. And so, disgusting. Disgusting. Oh, handling of documents. And so, <laughs> it was found in, like, an attic. Like, 
like early 1900s. And as soon as mm-hmm. Thomas Nickerson's account came out, we had so much more like detail on the Essex. So a lot of accounts of the, and you can buy a copy of just like Thomas Nickerson's account of the events. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why, for cinematic reasons that I will discuss, but a lot of the movie focuses so much not on the captain and the first mate, but on the cabin boy, on Tom Holland's character, because a lot of what we know came from his perspective. Also, because this was his first whaling voyage, um, it's a good perspective for a movie, because as he learns, the audience gets to learn. A little bit of cinema uh, study going on here mm, today. That makes sense. But, like, you know, because you get on, he gets on the ship and everybody else knows what's going on, and he doesn't. So, as an audience who's never been whaling, it's good for us to follow his story. But Thomas Nickerson's very important. In the movie, one thing that super bugs me is that the whole thing's being told by Thomas Nickerson as he's giving the story to Herman Melville, author of Moby Dick. Now, they never met, as far as I can tell. Um, Thomas Nickerson was on the Essex. Herman Melville did have some experience as, like, a lower-level whaler. Like, Herman Melville was on a whaling ship, which is a lot of the inspiration and the background for Moby Dick. But he was not on the Essex, and he was not a whaler at the same time as Thomas Nickerson. I think Herman Melville was a bit younger. Um, So in the movie, he's like, I heard about your story, and I want to come interview you. But as far as I can tell, Herman Melville never interviewed directly um, Thomas Nickerson. And it's not Herman Mm -hmm. Melville that wrote down Nickerson's story. So, but for the point of the movie, yes. It gets it across very well for the movie to be like, ah, narrator meet author of Moby Dick take this story and make it the great American novel, you know? Yeah. So, like, cinematically, it's really good. That is cooler. Yeah. It's, it's, for movie purposes. Like, oh, my God, Herman Melville talked to this guy. That inspiration. Like, no, Herman Melville did spend time on a whaling vessel, and it was a very popular story in popular culture. A little bit tidbit. Didn't mean to make this a Melville thing, but well. <laughs> so, so the boat. Uh, in sorry, July, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So in July of 1819, the Essex was one of a fleet of more than 70 Nantucket whale ships in the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. It left port in Nantucket on August 12th of 1819 to go on its 2.5-year voyage, two-and-a-half-year voyage into the Pacific. Um, then the next thing I have in my notes, yeah. So everything's kind of chill. Okay, I have a map in here somewhere of their voyage. Sorry, this is a podcast. You don't get to see the map. But I will show it to Laura. Yeah. So... They leave Nantucket, and they go first, like, across to Europe, and they go down. They get pretty close to Africa, actually. They hit the Cape Verde Islands. They come down the east coast of South America, around Cape Horn, and this is when crap goes wrong, okay? So they, like, hop, skip, and jump all the way up the west coast of South America, and then on November 20th, 1820... Essex is rammed. So some things that happened before the impact. I just rolled the entire table with my foot. So sorry. Mm. So along the way, fun little story that's not really fun at all. Remember, ecology did not exist. Yeah. Uh, they run across the Galapagos Islands. Uh-huh. And they land on Charles Island. They find some tortoises. You know, it's described nicely in the book. They get some tortoises because you can eat those tortoises. They don't require food and water for, like, an entire year. You can just keep them wandering on deck, and they'll be fine. Wow. So it's, like... That makes sense. Really easy yeah. to maintain. They take these tortoises. They put them on the boat. 
Some guy starts a fire. Charles Island burns down. <laughs> ah, wait, was it that wasn't on purpose though, right? It wasn't like we're gonna commit arson. It yeah. was more so like Smokey the Bear didn't exist yet. Oh, <laughs> I see. And so they're like they're leaving, and it's not their homes. They're like people didn't live there, so they didn't care. This fire may have made the Floriana tortoise and the Floriana mockingbird go extinct. Oh no! Uh-huh. So, so it's like while we're out whaling. We also made two other species go extinct. Wow. I mean, it's it's uh, efficient. That's just a fun thing that happened on the way out to sea. Okay. So, like, fun little pit stop. You're out with your boys. You burned down an island. I must ask you another question. Okay. Have you ever seen Jaws or any of its sequels? I've seen Jaws. Excellent. I went to see it in a, like, um, drive-in movie theater. I would love to do that. It was really fun. It feels like the perfect movie to see at an old drive-in movie theater. The original blockbuster. <laughs> I think, okay, now I think it's funny how, like, Jaws was the original block, like, summer blockbuster, and Moby Dick is, like, the American, like, the, largely considered the great American novel, um, and they both have to do with a sea creature hunting down this one particular group of people. Okay, wow. Do we have a as a culture have an obsession with this theme? I I definitely do. <laughs> now that I search within myself, I'm realizing <laughs> the media that I enjoy, I'm like, ooh, wait, those are very similar. Ooh. <laughs> have they written the perfect story for me? But in Jaws and in its sequels, I always found it super funny that this one like group of sharks always hunts down like this one particular family. Like I mm-hmm. think it's Jaws three. Like, Brody's wife um, is retired and, like, moves to Florida. And there's, like, a whole new shark, like, hunting her in Florida. And it's implied that, like, it just knows that that's, that guy's wife. And is, like, going after her. I, Makes sense. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I think that's good American cinema. Um, I will say, as the Jaws movies decrease in quality, they increase in comedy. So it's not, it's like a, it keeps it, you know, par for the course. But. I find this theme of family revenge uh, from sea creatures quite funny. I have a description of the whale's strength here on page 88 that uh, I enjoy very much. So, this is basically a description of, like, from other encounters of watching um, male sperm whales. Mm -hmm. They call them bulls. Like, what could occur? Like, this is a description of when one uh, male sperm whale tried to move in on another one's group. Because when, pro- when the approaching bull attempted to join the herd, he was attacked by one of the established bulls, which rolled over on its back and attacked with its jaw. Large pieces of blubber and flesh were taken out. Both bulls then withdrew and again charged at full tilt. They locked jaws and wrestled, each seemingly to try to break the other's jaws. Great pieces of flesh again were torn from the animal's heads. Um, it goes on to describe other violent things. Wow. Yeah, the jaw was broken and hanging by the flesh. Many teeth were broken and were extensive head wounds. So while it is not believed that sperm whales are, like, purposefully attacking creatures, they are definitely capable of violence. You know? Yeah. Very capable of strength. Which is interesting, because I guess I don't really think of whales as, like, violent creatures. Like aggressive, yeah. Aggressive creatures. We always are like, oh, you know, sweet little whales. That's why you'll hear people be like, I'm terrified of orchids. 
because they're the ones that you think of as like the ones that get you. The ones that will get you. But maybe you should be terrified of sperm whales. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> or at least if you're another sperm whale, you should be terrified of the sperm whales. Oh, yeah. These two birds are together apart. Wow. But now we go into, um, this is a very fun transition. And now we go into the tragedy. So. That was lovely. Good <laughs> job. There was a, it was like a two-part thing. Mm-hmm. So a whale comes up and rams the ship. And they're like, oh, my God, a whale, a whale, a whale hit the ship. That's so weird. Oh, my God, that never happens. Um, and they do the repairs to the Essex. She's doing fine. But unfortunately, that whale came back. Okay, and the same whale? This, oh, oh, we, we don't know. That's, that's <laughs> the juicy part, is that you can, I assume it's the same whale. It makes it sound cooler to think it's the same whale, because the then movie, you yeah. can get an entire book where, mm-hmm. where there's a whale that has a vendetta against a human. Yep, in, yeah. in the movie adaptation. At Herman Melville. Yeah, oh, at Herman Melville was like, ooh, I can make that sound. Mm-hmm. The November 20th, 1820, a few months into their voyage, um, that whale hits once again and essentially takes the essence down. Wow. Wait, yeah. so how many days later was this? Was this? It was long enough for them to do repairs on the boat. Mm-hmm. So it was like, the whale hit us. Oops, we got to, like, patch a hole, maybe pump some water out, brace something. We yeah. Could. And then it's like, Boom, whale coming again. Now, was it what that the whale just like bumped into them or the whale was like, die? <laughs> die. <laughs> the written descriptions like that I've read, it, I mean, of course they phrase it because then they're being attacked by this whale. So it's like, that whale had intentions. Okay. Um, oh, wait. Yeah, Chase was convinced that the Essex and her crew had been the victims of decided calculating mischief on the part of the whale. Uh, for Nantucketer, this was a shocking thought. Yeah, if other sperm whales should start ramming ships, it would only be a matter of time before the island's whaling fleet was reduced to so much flotsam and jetsam. Fun. That's a fun phrase. Flotsam and jetsam. Flotsam and jetsam. I want to start using these words out in my everyday life, and then people will get mad at me. Flotsam and jetsam. Fun fact. Flotsam and jetsam are the names of Ursula's pet electric eels. Oh. Lots of jets. Now we've got our boys. The boss is on a roll. That was clever. Oh, my God. Oh. Okay, they, they estimated this whale to be about 85 feet long, approximately 80 tons. Ooh, 80 it was tons. Less than Wait, how many feet long? Um, 85. Oh. Hmm. According to Philbrook, it was less than 100 yards away, so close that they could see that its giant head was etched with scars and that it was pointed towards the ship. But this whale wasn't just large. It was acting strangely. Instead of fleeing in panic, it was just floating quietly on the surface of the water, puffing occasionally through its blowhole as if it were watching them. After spouting two or three times, the whale dove, then surfaced less than 35 yards from the ship. Yeah, and they were like, it's pretty close to the ship, but it doesn't seem like a threat. Um, The way it was acting didn't give us too much alarm at first. (laughs) Oops. Yeah, then they raise the alarm, but there's really not much you can do. Does it describe the part where it rammed them? I, I think on Nickerson's account, it says, um, Chase shouted to Nickerson, pulled the helm arm up, and then scarcely had the sound of the voices reached my ears, Nickerson remembered. 
when it was followed by a tremendous crash. The whale rammed the ship just forward of the forechain. She shook as if she'd struck a rock. Every man was knocked off his feet. Galapagos tortoises went skittering across the deck. <laughs> That's a great detail. <laughs> you imagine them spinning on the ship. Um, we looked at each other with perfect amazement. Face recalled, deprived almost of the power of speech. Because it's, like, freaking weird. So the whale went under the ship. It bumped the bottom so hard it knocked off the fast keel. Um, a formidable 6 by 12 inch timber. He came off the starboard quarter. The creature appeared. Chase, uh, Chase said, stunned with the violence of the blow, floated beside the ship, its tail only a few feet from the stern. So they grabbed their lances. So they're like, yeah, I gotta kill this thing. Yeah. Because it's, one, it's close and it's a whale, and two, because it's messing us up. Mm-hmm. Because it's close and it's a whale. Because it's close. That's kind of their job description. That is true. Why didn't they, immediately when they saw it, why didn't they start trying to kill it? I think because it was like, it's just coming to the ship. And typically the ship, you you don't kill the whale from the big boat. You kill it from the smaller boat. You go get in the small boats. Okay. Yeah, you get in the 20-foot whaling boat. And so, though they're equipped to kill a whale from the main deck, it's not like their priority. Yeah. It's kind of like. Okay, we gotta get that one in a minute. Okay. He's just chilling there. That's weird. And then it rammed the ship. And they're like, all right, we gotta do something about this, boys. Mm-hmm. And it mentions here that even after it hit the boat, they were like, I can kill it. It's gonna bring back so much oil. Yeah, they like Did they notice the that it. their ship was sinking? Or It wasn't sinking at this point. Okay. But he hmm. hit it, and then he like... It's it again. It says a sperm whale is uniquely equipped to survive a head-on collision with a ship. Stretching for a third of its length between the front of the whale's battering ram-shaped head and its vital organs is an oil-filled cavity, perfectly adapting to cushioning the impact of a collision. In less than a minute, this 80-ton bull was once again showing signs of life. So, like, it kind of, like, threw itself off course. It was stunned a little bit. And then, and then she goes right back into it. Hmm. And, then, and then it just it rams the ship again. So, yeah, it was clearly, like, it was trying to do it. Like, yeah, yeah. being offensive. Uh-huh. And it was moving at least six knots. Chase said, um, yeah, if it should strike us again, it would prove an inevitable destruction. Yikes. And then, like, you can't get the ship out of the way that fast. Okay, the force of the collision caused the whaleman's heads to jounce on their muscled necks as the ship lurched to a halt on the slab-like forehead of the whale. The creature's tail continued to work up and down, pushing the 238-ton ship backward until, as had happened after the knockdown of the Gulf Stream, um, water surged up over the transom. So one of the men ran from below decks and was like, we're filling with water. At that point, they're screwed. Wow. So, yep. That would be crazy to no, be standing on a like, ship in and the then... In the middle of the Pacific Ocean... The this whale just rams you and then starts pushing your boat. Like yeah. what? Never happened. And in like modern modern day, there are occurrences where like a sperm whale hit a research vessel, and they're not sure if it was intentional or not. Mm. It was kind of like, well, if it only happens once, then we're gonna say it's an accident. Yeah. But it's pretty fun. So the ship's going down. Yeah. They get in their three lifeboats. This is important. Not really, but kind of want to keep track of them. One of the lifeboats had the captain had Captain uh, Pollard in it. Nope, I'm an idiot. Wait, no, she's not. Kind of. Wait, let me check. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Gosh, I'm pretty sure it's Pollard. Yes, Captain Pollard. I wrote in my, I wrote my notes. 
Owen, Chase, and Joy. But Owen Chase is the first and last names of the first mate. So I was confused. One thing's one boat's got Captain Pollard in it. One boat's got Owen Chase, and the other has Matthew Joy, the second mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decided to head eastward to South America in order to avoid the cannibals in the nearby islands. Oh, so lovely. heading eastward to South America was a longer voyage. Mm-hmm. However, they were trying to avoid these cannibals, Laura. It would be la- it would later be proven that there are no cannibals on that island. So they should have just gone to the island. Yeah, some of this is like a series of bad decisions that like we have like the foresight for. You know, like we But say, they thought that there were cannibals they there. They thought there were cannibals. Why was that, like, there were there reports of there being cannibals? Yeah, but in like a white man sailor kind of way. Ah. Of like, "Oh, you got to be careful of those islands. They'll eat you." The islands will eat you. And then it's like, "No, sir." They're just natives. Maybe what they really meant was that the islands will eat you. Like, there's some quicksand there or something. You misheard me, sir. The islands. The islands. Not Not the the people there. You misheard me. The people are really nice. Yeah. Um, The island, however, will eat you. (laughs) Oh, I wrote a The people are lovely. Short horror story about that one time. Okay. I was like, in what story will the forest eat you? And I was like, you wrote that, silly. Okay. I should read that sometime. It's a fun time. Uh, Dr. Livingstone was like, ooh. Freaky. Is that for monsters? Might recommend you to counseling. Oh, yeah. You told me about that. Mm. It's a fun time. So, <laughs> so, sorry. So, they avoid the cannibal island. There were no cannibals on this island. And then I wrote in my notes, but there would be some others pretty soon. Hint, hint. Oh, no. It's it's kind of ironic when you're like, I'm not, I gotta, I gotta avoid the cannibals, Gotta avoid boys. the, yeah. Oops. Those barbarians. Savages. Yep. Can't believe they would eat another human being. Oh my gosh, I know the gulls and people. So they're out on these lifeboats. It's understandable. I haven't heard like they wanted water, of course. Um they know not to drink the salt water. However, sometimes and here it comes to the point that like you don't know what you do until you're in this terrible situation. Yeah. So they would sometimes hold mouthfuls of water, um, of seawater in their mouths just to try to absorb some moisture just in the hope that it would hydrate them and it definitely That's, did not would do the opposite of yeah, that Yeah, but it's like all you have it's like the salt would yeah they did try to drink their urine which like in dire straits sure don't do it though because it's literally like everything the body so wait how far did they get to the coast before wait they, they abandoned the ship right there and got in the whale boats yes okay they abandoned the ship where's my little map and they didn't have any stores or anything on the ship that they, like, were able to grab? It went down that fast? They, would that, but they do have, um, like, hardtack and provisions. They do have, like, an emergency ration of food. Okay, they just couldn't get their water. Yeah, it's hard to judge, like, how long I will float around. So it's hard to judge how much water and how much, like, food you can have. Yeah, that makes sense. When you said, do they have any stores? I thought you were about to say, can't they just stop somewhere? No. <laughs> like, girl. Couldn't they just go to the Dollar General? They're everywhere. (laughs) Really like it, man, guys. There's like a Target out there. Just gotta try a little harder. On the it's it was actually on the island with the cannibals. Yeah, they they weren't cannibals, and they actually had a Target. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. They should they really should have gone to that island with the non-cannibals and the Target. But oh shit! Oh, Chase writes our suffering during these calm days almost exceeded human belief. Oh. That's terrible. It's only going to get worse, buddy. I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> some point, they, so terrible. 
they float around as a group. They've got these three boats kind of like latched together. Um, they land eventually on Henderson Island. Henderson Island was barren. Okay, they are full. They they land on this island. They land on this island in the movie, and they're like, "Yes, we can stay here and survive." Um, but not 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 really. The island was pretty barren. Very much terrible. Would not recommend. Um, and so some people do decide to stay on the island. However, I think three people decided to stay. I was just looking up how far away Henderson Island is from South America. Oh. It's very far. How how far? How far is far? Okay, Laura has the length of Henderson from South America. Yeah, it's so like you guys know the Pacific Ocean and how giant <laughs> it is. Um, the it's, distance of Henderson Island from South America is almost equivalent to the width of America, like of the United States. Yeah. Yes, that is how the far they are from the mainland. I call that pretty dang far. It is pretty dang far. Like they're equidistant pretty much between New Zealand and Peru. Oh crap. Yeah. Oh crap indeed. Oh crap indeed. These are about to get worse. Um <laughs> I hate to tell them. I have a letter here that George Pollard wrote when they were on the island to his wife Mary. It says account of the loss of the ship Essex of Nantucket in North America, Ducey's Island, December twentieth, eighteen twenty. Commanded by Captain Pollard Jr., which shipwreck happened on the 20th day of November 1820 on the equator. And like, he gives a lot of coordinates. Um, yeah, they got what provisions and water the boats would carry. That answers your question. Mm-hmm. And they left the boat on the 22nd of November. Um, and arrived here this day with all hands except one black man who left the ship at... Um, almost, yeah, one guy got off when they actually like landed on... When they like stopped the boat one time. Mm-hmm. He was like, that's it. I'm not taking my chances on this boat anymore. I'm going to just stick with the island. Okay, so they, okay, this is about a month, after a month at sea, okay? So they leave the boat on the 22nd of November, and then we intend to leave this island, which will be the 26th of December, um, 1820, for the continent. So they're trying to, like, get off this island and go to reach South America. Mm. I shall leave this with a letter for my wife and whoever finds and will have the goodness to forward it, oblige an unfortunate man and receive his sincere wishes, George Pollard Jr. So he writes a sad little what he thinks is his last letter to his wife. Um, hmm. Also, for reference, oh, yes. he said they were on they were near the equator when yeah. the when the ship sunk. So now they're like very far south of the equator from if they're on Henderson Island, mm-hmm. which is interesting because you know if this had happened post Panama Canal. Yeah. You could have just, they would have been very, like, close. They could have just gone through. But they couldn't, you couldn't go through it this time. Yeah. So that's why they're they're fixing to sail. Cape Horn. Yeah. Um, wow. Wait, they went really down. far in those little boats. No, yeah, like, they're just drifting. Like, Life of Pi style. Wow. <laughs> like, like, this is the scenario they're in. These boats are, like, super long because they're meant to, like, carry a lot of equipment and a lot of men. Yeah. There are, they are essentially lifeboats. Mm. Um, so they they leave some guys on Henderson Island, but the, the island's barren, so they leave it anyway. And they get back on their boats. Um, I, eventually Matthew Joy wants to be transferred to Pollard's boat. It says here, yeah, they estimated at this point that they were now only six hundred miles closer to the mainland than when they had left Henderson eleven days before. The next day, Matthew Joy made a request. The seven, the twenty-seven year old second mate. 
asked if he might be moved to the captain's boat. The transfer was effected. Chase wrote, under the impression that he would be more comfortable there and more attention and pains be bestowed in nursing and endeavoring to comfort him. But all knew the real reason for the second mate's removal. Now that he was reaching the end, Joy, who had been on a boat with five coops, one, meaning those like off-islanders, wanted to die among his own people. So here's where you see an example of like a lot of these guys aren't from Nantucket, but the ones who are from Nantucket, it's kind of like a tribal relationship. Like mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a deep community tradition. Yeah. Um. So he wanted to be moved to a boat that had like more of his like homeboys, you know, mm-hmm. more of his blood brothers. Um. That was a weird description of these men. The guys from his hometown. His homeboys. His homeboys, really. So that's sad. Matthew Joy dies. And at this point, they're drifting in the ocean. Chase describes hearing and seeing whales in the night as if they're being followed or haunted. I wrote in my notes in bold, reminder that the open ocean is freaking terrifying. Yep. <laughs> like, this is horrific. You're in these smaller boats, and you are seeing whales around you. Whales that have apparently hunted you in the past. Yeah, that just sunk your boat. That just sunk your boat. Well, like your ship. This is horrifying. At this point in the movie, um, Chase has his harpoon still on the boat. And he, like, acts like he's going to go after this whale, like he's going to kill it. And he has this little, like, heart-to-heart, mind-meld moment with this animal. So I I like to point out the movie because the movie's good. But at this point in the movie, the whale just kind of, like, drifts away. Like, they have, like, a a gentleman's agreement. A gentleman's agreement. Yeah, and then, like, you don't see the whale. Not going to kill you. Okay. It's kind of like, ooh, humble monster of the open sea. I get you, I get you. And he, like, swims away. That's pretty nice. Pretty terrible that they're in this situation, though. Yeah. So he's, like, seeing whales following their lifeboat. Um, and then there is a death on Chase's boat. Mm. So shortly after, three more men would die and be eaten. Oh, here we go. Cannibalism. We've reached the part. Yeah, okay. Here's the thing. I, yes, this is a fun cannibal story. Everyone has to talk about the Essex in comparison with cannibalism. What are, you, what are you saying? I didn't know this was a part of it. Oh, oh really? Does Chris Evans eat Tom Holland? <laughs> oh, my God. No, Tom Holland is <laughs> the guy Hemsworth who survived. He survives. Chris Hemsworth and Tom Does Holland survive. Tom Holland eat Chris Evans? Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> wow. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I don't. I didn't want to come into this being, like, a fun cannibal story. That's why I've been talking so much about, like, the nature of Nantucket. And, yeah, like, and whale and biology. <laughs> fun yeah, story of whales. cannibalism. I want to talk about the whales and leave this part in the podcast because I think this is a good, this is my explanation. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted, I don't, I don't like talking about, like, oh, my gosh, that guy had to eat his cousin. Isn't it crazy? Because, oh, like, no. Because he had to eat his cousin. Like, that's a bummer. Like, that's a it's worse than eating some random stranger or colleague. I've seen so many people talk about the Essex, and then they're all like, oh, my God, I can't believe those guys ate each other. They're the worst. And I'm like, you don't know what you do after 90 days of sea yeah. in the open ocean with a corpse right next to you. Prove like, what? Would you not? And I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> like, would you not kill the guy? Like, okay. So, a guy dies of natural causes. We're pouring goldfish currently, actually. I would like some. Nothing like some good crunching AS. He's stealing all my goldfish! Oh, wait, can I have some? I didn't know we were doing this. <laughs> Stop. He's stealing my goldfish hey, on wh- the air! Just, yeah. Hey, what time are we trying to 
I'll wrap it up soon. Okay. Me too. Okay. Or are we still gonna do like a yeah. news? Oh, I'm still recording. Yeah. Yeah. This is just snack time, but we don't keep the story rolling. Cool. So, I mean, like the can. news. We don't have to, I but hope, I would hope. It's okay. Fun. Cool. And like more than happy. I could do it fast. So the open ocean is freaking terrifying. Uh-huh. Man dies on Chase's boat, and they make a vote. So I mean, of course, somebody proposes like we can't just throw him overboard. We gotta, we gotta eat him. We gotta eat him. Oh, imagine being the person who had to bring that up. There is a description in Chase's account, um, and it sounds very measured and distant. But you gotta realize, if you were to describe killing somebody, you too would be like, we first removed <laughs> like, remove that arm and the legs. We removed all of this. We then set him up. You gotta lean back. <laughs> I was doing that on purpose. I think they took his, I think they ate his heart. That's so terrible. The, the heart is very Bonnie. Bad. I wouldn't leave it behind. Bonnie. <laughs> Stop, it. Stop chewing in the mic. I'm so sorry to all of our listeners that I'm trying to expel this important information. I'm Cal- sorry. Calmly measured okay, tell me the a horrible act of cannibalism. Tell me about cannibalism. These are a bunch of, like, kind Quaker dudes mm-hmm. who just want to kill some whales. Yeah. Now eating a dead body. Uh. They opened up the chest cavity, I think, removed the heart, sewed it back up, and returned his body to the sea. Mm-hmm. So that first happened on Chase's boat. Shortly after, three other men are lost on these three ships. They do get eaten. Um, you said they sewed him back up? Well, they, they opened they have... up the chest cavity, removed his heart, and then, like, closed it back up. Okay. We do have twine from the boat, so we know that somebody made some twine. Oh, okay. That's at the Nantucket Historical Association. Hmm. Um, yep. About four people die and get eaten, and then the boats begin to lose sight of each other. So, at this point in the voyage, everybody's looking and feeling absolutely horrible, okay? Like, they are emaciated. They're dying. They don't have any water. And they're eating each other. Yep. The symptoms these men suffered as their boats lay becalmed on January 14th, 1821, were similar to those experienced by the conscientious objectors in 1945, which is like an experiment done for the American military in which conscious objectors who didn't want to serve in the military were doing these experiments to, like, see what the human body could withstand, and they were essentially starved and gave permission to the U.S. government to starve them. That's a fun side piece. Google that. Okay. The conditions were so similar. Trace reported that they barely had the strength to move about in our boats and slowly perform the necessary labors appertaining to them. That evening, when they sat up from the bottom of the boat, they experienced the same kind of blackouts that afflicted the men at the University of Minnesota. Upon our attempting to rise again, Trace wrote, the blood would rush into the head, and an intoxicating blindness came over us almost to occasion are suddenly falling down again. So, it's not like, wow, that guy died, we gotta eat him. It's literally like, this is when, like, human nature is setting in. Mm. You know, fun times. No. No, it doesn't sound like it was fun time. Oh, no, definitely not. So, the boats lose sight of each other. Now there's not three of them floating together. There's like, they're each alone. Mm. On February 6th, um, the captain's boat decides to draw straws. Now, Owen Coffin, the young cousin of the captain, of Captain Pollard, mm. lost. Mm. And Pollard tried to take his place. So it should be stated that the captain tried to take the place of the cousin. The captain was giving up his life yeah. for his crew and for his family. Yeah. But the younger cousin refused to let him. Um, and the other crewmen on the boat, I think the guy who proposed that we draw straws, Oh, shot him and killed him. So they could eat him. They could eat him. Oh, my gosh. 
I mean, he agreed. He was like, do it, boy. Wow. In the movie, it's more dramatic. He, like, grabs the gun from somebody and, like, kills himself. Oh. But in, in the real situation, somebody else shot him. Um, and, they, and then they eat him. So the captain has to eat his cousin. This is after the captain told his aunt that he would, you know, watch Take out, care of watch him. Oh, him no. Cousin, which he tried. He did. And then this honorable young man was like, no, man. Like, I, I draw the short straw. Like, I, I'll do it for y'all. Honestly, at this point, it might be preferable to be eaten than to <laughs> Honestly, than, I was to, thinking that same thing. than to do the eating. <laughs> I was thinking that same thing. Mm. <laughs> so I eat my goldfish. Be like, oh yes, yeah, such a noble sacrifice. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't get really want to get me please. off. I want to meet Jesus. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a better deal right now. So <laughs> this is the kind of like loose lips this is stuff a, I was trying to avoid. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> This is a morbid episode. <laughs> it is true. On February 18th and 1821, however, Owen Chase's boat spotted a ship after 89 days adrift at sea. Wow. Yep. Well, that's sinking. That's a really, really long time. How many months is that? Any, eight, almost 90 days? Like, like we complain months? about being in, like, quarantine for a really long time, but at least we were in our houses with, like, you know, pillows. Mm-hmm. Food. You know, that's like about 15 running days water. longer than the, from, from the start of the semester's classes to now. Oh, oh like dear. We've, like, we've only been in class, like, beginning of September was exactly two months ago. So, like, they were on these boats longer than we've been at school. Like, uh, that'd be like uh, September through November, rough estimation, a semester of classes. That's awful. Yep. As a college student, that is the most apt description I have. Yeah, Just that's, when you look back, I mean, that's a good uh, description. Like three semesters. Yeah. Uh, Pollard's boat was, they, they drifted 300 miles apart from each other. So Pollard's boat was still adrift 300 miles away from where Chase was found. And then about a week after Chase's boat was, re- was rescued, the American ship, the Dolphin, uh, not the Dolphin, the Dolphin, spotted the lifeboat. And then I wrote they were still freaking out over these bones. Okay, so essentially, it's interesting when people like to hear about how Pollard and his men were, like, acting in the boat. Um, is there a quote? I don't think I had a quote marked. I think it was a little bit too extreme. I don't know. DM me. I'll give it back to you. <laughs> okay. Essentially. They were, at that point, they had the bones from these carcasses that they had eaten. Mm-hmm. And they're mashing them on the bottom of the boat um, to get the, to just suck the marrow out, to get, like, anything they can out of these bones. And then they see the, they, they, they pull up beside the ship. And the guys, we have the account of the, of the crewman from the, the dolphin looking down on Pollard and his men. And it's like they were emaciated, like, skeletons. They were corpses. There were bones all like strewn about on the bottom of the boat. Um, and then at this point when Pollard and these guys see like an American vessel, mm-hmm. like their salvation, they take the bones and they start trying to shove them in their pockets. So that they can't see? No, no. Or so, so that, that like nobody so they can, can take them. It's like these are our bones. That so nobody can see as well if they're self-conscious about that. Yeah. But also like, I mean, it took a time when they got them on the on the deck of the ship to take the bones away from them. Because, like, your your only mindset at this point is, like, this is my last, like, salvation. Like, this is my last bit of, like, nutrition. Yeah. Um, nobody can take this away from me. 
And so that was horrible and terrible. Wow. Lovely. <laughs> so overall, um, eight men were rescued. So like of the eight men rescued from the Essex on Pollard and Owen's um Owen Chase's boat, um, they all returned to the sea. So they all at some point in their careers went back to the ocean to either like be seamen or like captain or whatever else. Um, they came back to Nantucket without much criticism because honestly, cannibalism at sea is not, it's kind of regarded as like a side effect of being in that situation. Yeah. And so a lot of Interesting. Times, they're like sometimes terrible things happen at sea and you hear of people eating each other. We understand that it was necessary. Mm-hmm. But of course, you've got to like live like that for the mm-hmm. rest of your life, which can't be good. Um, Owen Chase's aunt wasn't that happy that he ate it. That he, oh no. Or not Owen Chase, Captain Pollard. Owen Chase's mom, Captain Pollard's aunt, was not that happy that her son had been eaten. Mm. I mean, would you be? Probably not. No. <laughs> be like, um, I told you to keep him safe and instead you ate him? Yep. Seven men in total were eaten. Now, just because they were eaten doesn't mean that they were killed. It does, like, you know, like you die of natural causes, then your shipmates yeah. eat you. Um, and then the guys who stayed on Henderson Island. Now, I've heard, this sounds terrible, um, but like, I heard whatever. There are, the guys who left on Henderson Island, in the movie, they die. But in, but I also, and here's what's bad, is that I can't remember a written source that says this. A video I watched about the incident says that the guys on Henderson Island were found four months later. And that they had been living off of, um, oh, wait. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry, this is really weird if you're listening to this because you don't know what I'm looking at. I'm, like, skimming through this book. Yeah, the guys from Henderson Island, uh, I believe, were found, like, four months later, like, a ship came by. Had they eaten each other? I don't believe so. Because they were eating, uh, they were eating, they were living off the birds and the and the bird eggs. Oh, huh. So. In the movie, they basically, like, die, though. Like, it's assumed that, like, when Cillian Murphy... Takes the buckets. So they, they, but we don't think they actually died. Like, in real life. They added more death than was historically accurate. Perhaps at least that one guy does in the island. In the movie. Interesting. I may, I think I'll look this up later and put it in the show notes. Because if, if, if the guys in, uh, check the show notes to see if the guys on Henderson Island survived. <laughs> but from what I heard, they were rescued by an Australian ship. And then what about Matthew Joy's boat? Yeah, what about his boat? What about his boat? Uh, Joy's boat apparently wound up on Ducey Island where they all died. Oh, lovely. So they did not survive, however. That is unfortunate. Mm. Now, that everybody found, not everybody found, with eight men rescued. Um, the story of the Essex is concluded. Now, the Essex, this tragedy, of course, inspired Moby Dick. And it went down in history and like social cultural knowledge in America as like a bad thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Like a story of the sea. <laughs> Maybe that's the real reason that I have a deep fear of the of sea based literature. Honestly, as you should. Um, this it's, is all pretty terrifying. I have a, just like a subconscious knowledge from all my cultural heritage of the Essex. What What do you think about the Essex, Laura? How are you feeling? Um, I'm. I don't know. It's It's very. It's fascinating, but it's. You know, a little, a little awful. 
quite awful. Yeah. It kind of sucks that this is, like, one of the main stories that, like, Nantucket is doing. Sorry, Nantucket. That's such a cool island. Do you have any other cool tidbits about the island so that we can end on a positive note? Oh, gosh, probably. Um, it turned into a tourist destination after that big fire I mentioned earlier. It's yeah. Not a bright spot, but, like, you know. A big fire. Okay. It sure was a big fire. Oh, wow. Um... Any fascinating tidbits? Oh my god, they declared you neutrality told me. in World War, not World War, anything. Oh yeah. Uh, Revolutionary War in <laughs> 1812. World War nothing. World War nothing. You told me something about when the men would go off to sea for like two years. It was basically just like a, like yeah. there were no men Yeah, there were always, for like two years. It was very interesting. Like there were always men on the island because not everybody was away at sea at times, and mm-hmm. there were people that processed the whale oil. Like there were always dudes on the island, whether they be children, older, middle class working. But it came with some very fascinating instances of like women being like financially almost autonomous, mm-hmm. at least being put in charge of the family's finances. Because when your husband goes away for two and a half years at a time, yeah, then you are like given. In, in several cases, um, there are, like, recorded instances of women being given, like, like, um, I forget the actual term for it, like, legal authority, kind of, over mm-hmm. the family and their dealings. Hmm. A very famous um, Hesia Folger Coffin uh, took over the finances from her husband, became a famous merchant on the island to the point that in, I'm, like, quoting things now, I want to roll now. Uh, in letters from an American farmer, he discusses this woman, and he's like, oh, everybody knows Aunt Kezia is what he refers to her as. That's a cool name. Yes. Kezia. She eventually loses her fortune because she smuggled a bunch of stuff to the British Army during the Revolutionary War. Uh, America calls her a traitor, and she goes to debtor's prison. But, you know, oh, lovely. She spends her entire life trying to earn her fortune back, and then she eventually, like, dies of a fall. Wow. That was unfortunate. But until that time, she was a baddie. A mercantile... Queen, one could Mercantile say. Queen. Love what, her. What you doing over there? Putting a little house out of foam. She's <laughs> a little sound foam. It's like Do you Okay, so is that I guess that's a that's an interesting thing to end Nantucket on. Right? Feminism. Feminism. Revolutionary war. Oh, uh, yeah, but the Essex took place in like early to mid 1800s. Shall I um is that all that we have for today? That's all I have on the Essex. Okay. I can do a quick history news. Yes. Give me some history news. It, it can be fairly quick because these articles that I found are like little, little yeah. things. Sorry to enter the rush to the end of the podcast, everybody. Yeah, Why sorry. Is that a place to be? She has to go somewhere. I need, so I need to go somewhere too, so. Okay, so um, I was looking up news and archaeology because that's cool. That's always fun. Uh, actually, sometimes it's horrifying, but it's usually fun. Um, <laughs> and it says, uh, I found this thing about how a French collector handed over a fragment of an 8th century Mayan uh, s- steel Steely, stilla, you know, st- that what that word, yeah, yeah, you know, a stone, a stone, okay. uh, like, um, to Guatemala during a ceremony in Paris. The stone sculpture, which depicts a ruler wearing a bird of prey mask, disappeared from the site of Piedras Negras 
in the 1960s and and reappeared at a Paris auction in 2019. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how that happened. Uh, Guatemalan officials objected to the sale and asked for the object to be returned. And they actually did return it. I, that was kind of, it's kind of like a hopeful, I guess, interesting thing because yeah. like there's so many things, so many artifacts around the world that have just been, you know, taken go missing, from the place unquote. where they originally were. And like the British Museum is full of artifacts that were taken. And that's like a whole, that's like a dark joke in the history communities. Like the British Museum. Oh, the British Museum. Like the only reason the pyramids are still there is because they were too big for the British Museum to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so You're this right. is kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, uplifting. It's like, oh, they actually did give it back. Um, they asked, for, the Guatemala asked for it back and they got it back. So that's good. Um, it says the carving will go on display at Guatemala's National Museum of Archaeology in Guatemala City. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, the other news thing that I found, since they were both short, was uh, maybe not quite. I don't know. You can judge for yourself whether it's as interesting, but it is ship-related. So it, um, there's a U.S. ship called the Bear. Okay, go off. Yeah, and they just found the wreck from it and it had okay so it says it was it was like it would like go up in the arctic from what i understand it was a commercial sealer like a hunting for seals i guess in 18 it was built in 1874 but the u.s government purchased it for rescue work in the arctic in the 1880s um it was used as a relief ship in alaska during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, oh, okay. a floating museum in California, and even a film set in 1930 for a movie called The She-Wolf. It was also a part of Admiral Richard Byrd's Antarctic explorations. Um, saw everything. Yeah. It says it, so it, it sounds like it was pretty old when it, when it sunk because it, um, it was built in the 1870s and then they were using it during both world wars to patrol the Arctic for the U.S. Navy, um, helped capture a vessel being used by German military intelligence during World War II. It's like this really old, it's it's like a old-fashioned oh sailing ship. Oh, my gosh, those are Arctic, there's like a look that like Arctic expedition ships just have. It's like that era It's got of the masts and everything. Like the, they used it in World War II, which is really cool. Not to be weird boat historian, but like that boat has the Arctic look. You're like, you're so funny. <laughs> like, I love it when you get excited about like random things, or you say, "Oh, that's so that's hot and sexy." Hot you say you called the mosaics hot and sexy. That's why, um, that's why we call boats she. But it says the it was decommissioned in 1944, and but it and it was sunk in a storm in 1963, and researchers have been looking for it since 1979. But they just found it in Canadian waters. Yeah, they thought it was like, they, that's completely different from where they thought it was, too. Yeah. They had one idea of where they thought it was, and then it ended up being in Canadian waters. And they just found it this year, and they've been looking for it since 1979. Congrats, everybody. So I thought that was interesting, Happy especially, it, and it ties in with our, with the ship-related things. People are like, I think this will be in this location, and then it's the tides, bro. Yeah, the tides. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's my uh, history news for today.
Do we need to have, do we want a media suggestion? Yeah, hit me with a, a, media, okay. a media mention. This one's going to be kind of funny. Um, I don't know. Um, I was trying to, th- I was thinking of like doing a, a history book that had come out recently. But, so I don't know if this, I feel like the ties can be kind of loose. Um, I mean, last time I said we should, you should go watch 1930s movies. Um, but so when I, I told you I got engaged, I was at home. Yeah. My grandma was like, you need to read this book. And I was like, what is this book? And uh, she handed, she hands me this fat etiquette book. Oh and it's Emily Post's etiquette book, which is, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. That like, hmm, what's it going to say? So there's like this whole entire section on weddings. And I just started like reading all this, uh, all this other stuff in it. And it was actually, okay, it was like a 15th edition. So it was from the 90s. Okay, so it's an it updated version, but it was, it's been around, like Emily Post Etiquette book has been around since the 1800s and they yeah. just keep coming out with new editions of it. Yeah. Um, so that is, that's where the tie comes in for it being a history thing is that it's been around since the 1800s and they keep republishing it but this was my mom's copy from the 90s and tell you what it was actually very sassy and entertaining they said a lot of things that were really good actually like very helpful about like what do you call this person you know it it had a whole section about what do you how do you refer to a person who's living with you What, what do you? Yeah, um, they said it's not necessary to say what their relation, your relationship is. Just call them by their name. Yeah, you yeah. you don't need to def- define your relationship to people. That's what that's what they said. They had some yeah some really good advice actually, and they got very sassy. Like there was one section in the wedding part where they were like, "Well, what do you do if you're like the parents of the bride or groom are not happy with your wedding arrangements?" And it was like, it basically said. Okay, well, the parents need to get over it because it's actually about the bride and groom and it's about what they want. And if they don't attend their child's wedding, they might lose their relationship with their child. So they need to just get over it. Emily Post said a table setting is not worth your relationship with your child. Yeah, no, they had some good <laughs> advice. Like, what was it? Oh, they they also said um, that if they said it, it's a common it's a common saying that. A man does not know how inadequate he is, or not inadequate, like irrelevant or unimportant he is until he attends his own wedding. Because, you know, there's like this stereotype that weddings are supposed to be, it's the bride's day, and the man doesn't have opinions. Um, And, but Emily Post, or Elizabeth Post, who's her like great granddaughter or something, who's, you know, rewriting it, she said, when this is the case, this was this to quote, she said, when this is the case, he will usually be attending his own divorce. (laughs) <laughs> sorry the, all the faces in the room right now are like Ooh. so i i started reading it because my grandma thought Thank i needed girl. some etiquette and i I, I kept reading it for entertainment value yeah as yeah you should. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh, he, he will he will very likely soon be attending his own divorce <laughs> ah, zinger <laughs> Got him. yeah yeah so that was that's my media suggestion. Go out there and find you a copy of Emily Post's Etiquette. There's an 18th edition now. They're on the 18th edition, and it answers such questions as, um, uh, it answers such questions as if I'm in the middle of an, I'm in the middle seat of an airplane row, do I automatically get both armrests? <laughs> is it when is it okay to unfriend someone on Facebook? <laughs> oh, I love how that we've progressed into this. 
<laughs> yeah, which it, the, it truly it, is it's the, in the 18th of like, edition. My best friend sent me orange roses. What does this mean? Yeah, like oh, this know. is like we've brought this Victorian thing into, but we like this they've exact, kept updating it, and we still have it. Interpret my life. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Oh my god! Thank you so much for introducing that book to me. I will now go look her down. You're welcome. <laughs> I can bring my um my edition that I have. My nineties edition. Next time we just go through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just read the spicy Mm -hmm. advice from Emily Post. Yeah, I'm not gonna say no to that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much uh, for listening in on my spiel about the the tragedy of the Essex and and everything that it entailed. Sorry if we got weird there toward the cannibalism part. I hope it got really interesting about the whale part. I did want to spend a lot of time talking about the whales. Yeah, it was fun. I had a good time listening to it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of History for Non-Majors. I'm Bonnie. I'm Laura. And as we always say here at History for Non-Majors, don't forget to suck the marrow out of life. See you next time. I'm so sorry. This is our least professional episode yet. I don't know what I'm going to do about the eating. <laughs> I was like, don't even edit this out. This is fine. Have you ever walked out of a mall into a huge parking area and realized you'd forgotten where you parked your car? Ever gone mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Are you careful with your personal records? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? Have you ever visited a flea market? Have you ever visited a truck stop? Did you ever have a job as a waiter? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? Have you ever had the desire to write your initials in wet cement?